The, uh, the message this morning is a true worldview. A true worldview. Before it was clear what would be happening in terms of this uh, pandemic, I really wanted to talk about the subject of truth. I've actually spoken on the subject of truth, truth that transforms a number of months or years back. Um, it's an important subject. It's something that is in the Bible over and over and over and over. You know the Hebrew word for truth? I'll come back to it later, but do you know the Hebrew word for truth? Amen. We're talking about truth all the time. So if a pastor says something and you say, Amen, you're saying truly, you're saying, yep, that's right. I agree. That's true. Truth is an important part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's an important part of our Judeo-Christian faith. Going all the way back to creation, the Bible over and over reiterates the importance of truth. If you want to form a worldview, there are usually four elements to it. Answers to four questions. First question is, who are we? Who are we? It's a fundamental philosophical question. You may think, why do people ask these kinds of questions? I, I'm me, you're you, we're people. Why do we need to answer that question? But there are different ways of answering the question who we are as human beings. Someone say that we are this, this result of a bunch of fortuitous accidents. As uh, it was stated in the Origin of Species, fortuitous accidents, oh sorry, fortuitous occurrences of accidental circumstances. I'd like to suggest to you the Bible has a very, very different perspective concerning who we are. We are not the result of a bunch of accidents. We are the result of an intentional, purposeful, creative work of an ultimately loving and creative God. So how we answer that question has a big impact on who we think we are and what we think we should do. So the first question is, who are we? Second is, what's the meaning of it all? What does it all mean? And for those of you who like philosophy, you may, <laughs> I haven't said this in a long time, forgive me if you've heard this before, but I've heard that, you know, people, some people, if you say the word philosophy, they just fall asleep. They just kind of shut off. And there, there are other people who, if, if you mention that you're going to talk about Greek, they fall asleep. So if you want to put an con entire congregation to sleep, all you have to say is Greek philosophy. Everybody will be out. But, you know, if you're talking about meaning, these are questions of epistemology, aesthetics, hermeneutics, uh, fancy words for what does it all mean? What should we do? That's a question of morality or ethics. And where are we going? That's a question of destiny. Or for all you theologically trained people who like fancy words, eschatology. How are things going to come to an end? What is the end? Of humanity, what's the end of the universe? If you can answer these questions, you have formed a worldview. So the first question, who are we? This question begins with, who, where do we come from? 
What is our origin? In the context of a Sunday morning message, I will confess that I cannot properly present other worldviews for comparison to the biblical worldview. All I'm going to be focused on this morning is just the biblical worldview, and I'm not really going to compare it much with other worldviews. I hope you're not bothered by that. You can find other worldviews everywhere else you go. So I'm not going to get into a bunch of cosmogonies. Yes, big words, I apologize. If you don't like big words, I apologize. A cosmogony is just a theory or an idea of how things came into being. How did the universe get started? So there's a Babylonian cosmogony. There's a Mayan cosmogony. There's a Hindu cosmogony or a bunch of them. There is a uh, Sumerian cosmogony. All these groups have their ideas of how the universe got started. There is even a theoretical physicist cosmogony, a theory or a myth of how the universe got started. The biblical idea of creation, it's just so beautiful. And if you look at the book of Genesis, the Bible addresses this issue directly. And it is not presenting a scientific perspective. For most of human history, we just didn't have the sophistication to understand what God would say if he was talking to us about genetics and DNA and all these kinds of things. Instead, God reveals to us the reality, the spiritual reality, the true reality behind the creation, which is that God created all things for a purpose. If you think about the days of creation, Genesis chapters 1 and 2, you have this very clear structure of creation for a purpose. So in days 1, 2, and 3, you have light and darkness, day 1. You have the waters uh, separated from the waters, day 2. You have the land established and the waters separated from that in day 3. In day 4, related to day 1, you have the sun, moon, and stars, light bearers. So day one, you have light separated from darkness. Day four, you have light bearers. Day two, you have the water separated from the waters, the, the, the firmament above and the, and the waters below. Day five, you have the birds of the air and the fish in the sea. You all following what I'm saying? Day three, you have the creation, the separation of land from water. Day six, you have land creatures and humanity created. And then the seventh day, many people say God created the heavens and the earth in seven days. Not true. He only needed six days. And for those of you who talk about whether it's literal or figurative, I don't care. If you want it to be literal, six days of creation, cool. My only question would would be, why did he take so long? If you want to say that the universe is 13.7 and apparently it's, has it gained or lost a few years? A few hundred million years have been gained or lost in the last few weeks as physicists have been figuring things out. But if you want to believe that, cool. It's not a problem for me. Whether God created by divine fiat in six literal 24-hour periods or He placed within those initial conditions all that was necessary to lead inevitably to our existence. Either way, it's God who makes all things happen. 
So I don't have a problem either way. I don't need to believe it either way either. The only thing that's important to me is that God created this universe for a purpose. Even this planet was created so that he could place us on this planet and we could care for it. So Genesis chapter 1 verse 27, let us make man in our own image. He created us in his image and then he commanded humanity, be fruitful and multiply. He actually gave that commandment to all the animals on the planet. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And he placed us on the planet, it says, to care for the earth. The word there for care is the same root word for shepherd. He has placed us on this planet to care for the planet. To make it a better fruitful place. And to bear fruit ourselves. So we have been placed here with a purpose. The universe has been created with the purpose. And this is the clear teaching of the Bible. That's a part of our worldview. So the question, answer to the question, where did we come from? God made us for his purposes. For his good will to be accomplished in this amazing, beautiful, glorious universe that he's created for us. For us. The second part of a worldview is what does it all mean? By the way, I just have to give this one quote from Abraham Lincoln. He often sounds like a preacher. And in his own time, before he was elected, during the whole election process, some people accused him of being an atheist. But he never accused himself of being an atheist. He had a very different perspective. He said this, Abraham Lincoln, I can see how it might be possible for a man to look down upon earth and be an atheist. And I look around at the way we humans behave, especially the way we behave towards each other, and I can agree with Abraham Lincoln. But I cannot conceive how he could look up into the heavens and say there is no God. Our God is creator. He continues with creation. His creative power is the reason for praise. His pre-existence provides him the power to predict. He knows the end from the beginning. Because he created the cosmos, he is able to keep a covenant, which he does quite well. That is his nature. In other words, the story of the Bible and creation and why we're here, it's actually not even about us. It's all about him. Him and his purposes, him and his nature, him and his will. So, worldview element number two, what is the meaning of it all? In order to answer the question, what does it mean, you have to answer the question, what is truth? I know some people may think that that's kind of a wasted, <laughs> a waste of time. Uh, because it, what is true should be obvious to all of us. I would agree with that, except that human beings have this habit of arguing with each other about things that I would think of as obvious. Einstein said the whole universe is an illusion, though a very persistent one. I, I know Einstein, the estimates of his IQ is that he had an IQ of 175. That's a bigger IQ than mine. Um... And but, nevertheless, I have to say to Einstein, really? Do you really believe that all of this is an illusion? 
This seems to be a part of many popular culture films, TV shows these days. Uh, some talk about a matrix. There was a trilogy about that where human beings are not really there. They're kind of in a vat of some sort and machines are using their energy. That doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense. And their experience is just a big dream that the computers are creating. It's all a computer program. And that was a trilogy. And apparently they're coming out with another one. What do you call that, by the way? Does anybody know? Is it quadlogy? What, what do you call it? Four-part series. Three-part is trilogy. Four is quad. Okay. It sounds like you don't actually know. <laughs> the people are giving different ideas. Anyway, it doesn't matter. There, there's shows I haven't seen. I'll just confess to you. There's something about a mirror broken or it's dark or something. I don't know. Some kind of mirror that's uh, about these imaginative things questioning what is real and what is not real. Can I just tell you, you are really here and if you're watching online, you're really wherever you are. The chair you're sitting on is a real chair. The laughter you hear from people next door, hopefully everybody will be relaxed enough to laugh a little more. That's real laughter. Those are real sounds. A real person sitting in your lap. Just deal with reality. There's significant problems if we begin to try to form an understanding of meaning without an understanding that the things around us, the world around us is real. It has to begin there. Many people were impressed by these shows that are questioning what reality is. Um, by the way, I'm not recommending any of these shows to you at all. Uh, despite the fact that in some of these shows, people argue, well, there's this character that's a Christ type a type of Christ. Can I just tell you, I don't have any need for such types of Christ. Uh, I prefer Jesus. But as Ravi Zacharias has observed, there are three levels of philosophy. There's formal philosophers. Those are the ones that put half of us to sleep. There is the philosophy of art, of film, of story. And there's the philosophy of the dinner table. Or the coffee shop. Three levels of philosophy. I'd like to suggest to you, we are all heavily influenced by that second part. Without even realizing it, we begin to absorb false philosophy. And if you found your behavior on false philosophy, you're going to end up with bad behavior. We need to filter all of these concepts through the Bible and not allow ourselves to be conformed to this world, but we must be transformed by the renewal of our minds. We need to embrace a higher reality, the reality which there is both truth and meaning. And that leads us to John chapter 114. I, I know I've been talking about creation. I love this verse. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten 
full, which was come from the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, C.S. Lewis, I'm sure you would all know, he was a Greek scholar. He was also a medievalist. Uh, He knew Latin fluently. He wrote letters to friends in Latin. And he was a, uh, uh, his mother started teaching him ancient Greek when he was six years old. Did your mom do that for you? I am just curious. My mom didn't teach me Greek. Um, C.S. Lewis was brilliant. He was accepted to the university when he was 14 years old. Anyway, C.S. Lewis translates that verse this way. That Jesus is full of grace and reality. Full of grace and reality. I believe Ravi Zacharias was right when he said the ultimate pursuit should be truth no matter where it leads you. If your pursuit of truth leads you to the belief in an omnipotent God that created the universe, just let it be. It's okay. It's okay. If you believe that, you're in, honestly, you're really good company when it comes to intellectuals. You don't have to be an agnostic to be smart. I'd like to suggest to you that we are surrounded, both externally and internally, with evidence of the Creator. He speaks to us in the gentle breezes, clapping together the leaves of mighty oaks. He speaks to us in the germinating seed. From its muddy, wrinkled plainness, it transforms into living, breathing, beautiful, fruitful vine. He speaks to us in our own liveliness. Our every breath is in his hand. Our thought he knows before we think it. And if we are willing, in the still, small voice, he speaks to us in our own minds, revealing himself to us in peace and prophecy, in joy and restoration. God is everywhere, shouting to us. Yet we, with hands firmly clasped over our ears, shout profanities in an attempt to drown out his mighty flood of a voice. As C.S. Lewis put it, forgive me for quoting C.S. Lewis so much. Uh, If you haven't read his books, please do. They're available online these days. Just go on and look up C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis put it this way, good beats upon the damned incessantly as sound waves beat upon the ears of the deaf, but they cannot receive it. Their fists are clenched, their teeth are clenched, their eyes fast shut. First they will not, and in the end they cannot open their hands for gifts, their mouth for food, or their eyes to see. Ladies and gentlemen, our denial of reality in no way diminishes reality. It only diminishes us. But the denial of a deeper reality to our existence, I believe, has had much more distressing consequences. I'm going to make a reference to some news clippings from about 20 years back. In the year 2000, Vadim Miasagis, for the younger members here, I apologize for those of you who brought children. Kids, just don't listen for a second. This fellow chopped up his landlady into a collection of body parts. Nice. Tonda Lynn Ansley, 
shot her landlady in the head in July 2002. Joshua Cook in 2003 killed the couple that adopted him. You know what all three of these murderers have in common? They all did not believe they were actually in a real life situation. When they were taken to court, their defense was the matrix defense. They claimed that they believed that they were playing out a kind of non-reality. And so they could not be held responsible for the horrible behavior that they were guilty of. They thought they were in some kind of computer-generated reality. People are becoming disconnected from reality. And the more disconnected you become from reality, the less connected you become with truth. And the less connected you become with truth, with a capital T, the more the gentle bonds of love and justice disintegrate. When we embrace unreality and reject reality, we open ourselves to enacting every form of human depravity. Now, I already mentioned the Hebrew word for truth, amen, which finds its root in amen. So you may have heard the difference in pronunciation. It means reliable, certain, stable, a man of truth, an ish amen. Ish is a word for man. Amen is the word for truth. Man, I want to be an ish amen. A man of truth. is a man whose words can be relied on. A word is also closely, that is also closely related to the Hebrew concept of reality. I'm oh, sorry. The Hebrew term emuna, emuna, amen. Amen, Amunah, is the word for peace, which in turn is related to shalom. Perhaps our connection with reality is inextricable from our experience of peace, of shalom, psychological, social, and physical wholeness, well-being. The Greek word for truth, sorry, I said Greek, I hope you're still awake is aletheia, you don't have to remember that, but it means not a lanthano, not hidden, not hidden. Just interesting to me that the Greek word for truth is not hidden. Apparently the people who were forming that language very early on felt that truth is not something that you have to go searching for, it's there. What we need to do is embrace truth. To the Greek mind, truth was obvious. The term came to mean that which is associated with reality. Those cynics argued whether or not truth could be known, which was demonstrated by Pilate's famous quip. What did he say? What is truth? So ironic. The reader of the Gospel of John knows that just a few hours before Jesus was saying to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Truth was standing in front of Pilate, and Pilate had to ask the question, what is truth? 
The intuition of humanity from our earliest records of intellectual reasonings is that truth is something that is both evident and knowable. It's interesting to me that in Hellenistic thought, you know, in Greek thought, what is real or true was thought of as that which is apprehended and understood only through the mind and not through the physical senses because truth was a matter of eternal or divine, especially, consideration. And this was especially, but not exclusively, in the writings of Plato. The idea that truth was something about the eternal, the eternal mind. It's related to God. To get to know the truth is to get closer to God. This is one of the reasons many of the early church philosophers liked Plato and quoted him often. So the Hebrew concept of truth and the Greek concept of truth can often be translated as reality. So I'd like to take a couple of verses from the Bible and just take the word truth and stick in there reality. Let's see how that works. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices in reality. 2 Thessalonians 2.12, all will be condemned who have not believed reality, but have delighted in wickedness. Isn't that interesting? Are you all following the concept? There is a connection between right behavior and embracing truth. Good behavior, true behavior. Bad behavior, false behavior. Lies, sin. Truth, sinlessness. Evil, wicked, evil and wickedness are an expression of the unreality of hell. The reality of heaven is different. We cannot do anything. Second Corinthians chapter, chapter 13 verse 8 says, We cannot do anything against reality, but only for reality. 2 Timothy chapter 2, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who rightly handles the word of reality. Dear children, 1 John, I love this passage. Dear children, let us not love in words or tongue, but in actions and in reality. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth, sorry, to the Reality and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and reality. That's Ephesians chapter 5. My brothers, if one of you should wander from reality, wander from the truth, and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from his error of his ways will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully, reality, truthfully with your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. And it goes on. There are several passages. I'm going to skip several of them. Do you all see the connection here? The Bible makes a very clear connection between truth 
and good behavior. Godly behavior. Being right and being true go together. Jesus said to those who believed in him, John chapter 8, if you hold to my teachings, literally if you remain or abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. Then, notice that again, if you abide in my word, you remain in my word, then you are truly, you're really my disciples. Then you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, that's a promise not to everybody. That's a promise to those who are disciples of Jesus, who abide in his word, and his word abides in them. Then you will know the truth, and the truth, the reality, will set you free. So this brings us finally to the fourth element of worldview. So the first element is creation, where we're from. Where did we come from? The second question is, what does it all mean? The third question is, what is right behavior? I think I didn't introduce the third section. I apologize for that. The third thing is, what is right behavior? These are related to each other. Each one is related to the other. And the fourth one is, where are we headed? What is our end? What is our destiny? I said at the beginning, we are living in interesting times. We're facing the greatest challenge to humanity in the past two generations. We must confront this with truth. I've gotten, has everybody gotten too many messages lately? A bunch about the coronavirus. There's one WhatsApp group I'm in that forwarded a picture of a book where, uh, forgive me, a false prophet apparently predicted um, the coronavirus. I answered on the WhatsApp group, I'm going to quote myself. I'm not quoting what the other person said. I'm just quoting myself. Think tanks without the gift of prophecy have been predicting a pandemic. I've been reading these predictions for over 30 years. Most likely, these predictions, that the pandemic would come out of China, possibly out of Africa, with birds or bats or some other livestock as the likely vectors of mutation to human infection. (laughs) To answer that, somebody in that group, and I don't want to tell you, this is actually a group of pastors. Somebody in that group wrote this. And I'm quoting directly, rather than fixing the grammar, I apologize for the mistakes. Most of the Chinese made genetic mutations are unethical and without following scientific norms. To which I answered, question mark, exclamation point. These are not manufactured by humans. These are natural mutations that result from the close proximity of animals and humans in wet markets. Even, are you all listening? I mean, I'm reading what I wrote. You're all following? You know about the Spanish flu? 1918, look it up. It's instructive for us today. Even in the 1918, 100 years ago to 19 outbreak, some people were theorizing 
some conspiracy theories that the Spanish flu virus was a weapon of the world war. Did you all follow that? That was long before it was possible for human beings to do such things. And even now, it really is impossible. I went on. Obviously, that was impossible 100 years ago. It's not really possible today. One other WhatsApp group that I'm in, someone forwarded the following rubbish. You think the coronavirus is dangerous? Or is the purpose of the media campaign to settle the trade war between China and America? Or to reduce the financial markets to prepare the state? Did you all get this? Okay, good. <laughs> to reduce the financial markets to prepare the stage of financial markets for mergers and acquisitions, or to sell U.S. Treasury bonds to cover the fiscal deficit in them, or is it a panic created by pharmaceutical companies to sell their products like sanitizer, masks, and medicine, etc.? One wonders the motive. To which I answered... The virus has no motive. None of those diseases overwhelms the medical system, forces doctors to choose who to treat or allow to die, doubling its infection rate every week, leaving its victims to die alone in isolation on a respirator. You probably don't want me on one of your WhatsApp groups. Only with the truth can we do our duty. If we're focused on conspiracy theories, then we're not focused on what we should be doing. These things are not helpful. People who are pursuing these theories and who are denying the realities of the truth that is around us, they together are serving the enemy of our souls. In contrast, one dear friend wrote this to me, a quote from Martin Luther as he wrote concerning the Black Death. Yes, Martin Luther lived through the Black Death in Europe during that time, 400 years ago. What we're experiencing is not new. It's not new. It's happened before. It's going to be okay. It's not the end of the world. It's beautiful what Martin Luther wrote. He said this, I shall ask God, by the way, he was writing a letter concerning what he thought as a response to the Black Death. Does it sound familiar? This is what he had to say, and I, I will tell you, I agree, not that I'm qualified, but I agree with Martin Luther. I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, 400 years ago, help purify the air, administer medicine and take it. Notice that, administer medicine and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order to not become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he surely will find me. And I have done what he has expected of me and so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely, as stated above. 
You all catch it? We have faith, we behave, wisdom based on reality, and we do not stop loving. We continue to love each other, to love our fellow human. We may elbow, knock instead of shaking hands. That's okay. It'll only last a little while. We'll do what we can to level out that curve. If there's a spike, I was talking with the head of one of the uh, largest hospitals in the city. And I asked him, are you ready for this? I asked him a few weeks back. He said, no. In fact, he said the whole medical system in India, he was talking about the state. He said the whole medical system in the state is not ready. And everybody seems to be ignoring the situation. This is only two weeks back. And I said, do you have uh, isolation units in your hospital? And again, this is one of the largest hospitals in the city. He said, yes. And he said, do you know how many beds we have? Two. Yeah, so if they have two cases of coronavirus, they'll be fine. If they have 200, it's going to be a problem. There was a poem. You know, what difference does it make, our destiny? What difference does it make when we face this kind of situation? As one analyst said, it's appropriate to call this a war. What difference does it make if we have faith that we're going to see God at the end of all of this? And we'll be judged by him for how we respond to this situation. What difference does it make? There was a a poem written by Francis Angermeyer, which found its way into the pockets of many World War II soldiers. Thousands of them had this poem in their pockets. Look, God, I've never spoken to you. But now I want to say, how do you do? You see, God, they told me you didn't exist. And like a fool, I believed all this. Last night, from a shell hole, I saw your sky. I figured right then they had told me a lie. Had I taken time to see the things you made, I'd known they weren't calling a spade a spade. I wonder, God, if you'd shake my hand. Elbow bump. Uh, I feel that you will understand. Funny, I had to come to this hellish place before I had the time to see your face. Well, I guess there isn't much more to say, but I'm sure glad, God, I met you today. I guess the zero hour will soon be here, but I'm not afraid since I know you're near. The signal. Well, God, I'll have to go. I like you lots. This I want you to know. Look, now, this will be a horrible fight. Who knows, I may come to your house tonight. Though I wasn't friendly with you before, I wonder, God, if you'd wait at the door. Look, I'm crying. Me, shedding tears. I wish I'd known you these many years. Well, I'll have to go, God, now. Goodbye. Strange. Since I met you, I'm not afraid to die. When I was about eight years old, I had a dream. And in that dream, I went up a golden ladder. I'm, I'm telling you a true story. This isn't a joke. I went up a golden ladder and went up above the clouds. And at the top of the clouds, I saw this city. And it had golden domes. It was just really spectacularly beautiful. And in my dream, I was suddenly inside of the city. 
And I was walking through hallways, and as I walked through the hallways, I'd go by one door, and I could hear this choir inside singing praises to God. And I'd go by another door, and I'd hear some choirs singing hymns. I'd go by another door, I could hear people praising and worshiping God. And then I was back on the ladder, and I went down, kind of slid down the ladder. I didn't climb. I slid down the ladder and flew right into my bed, and I woke up. And you know, it's, it's interesting. Since that time... I, I've never been afraid of death. I don't know if I was afraid of it before, but I've faced death a few times. And in those situations where I knew it could be the end, I wasn't afraid. Because I know where I'm going. We can face uncertain times with certainty. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. So, the four big questions. Where did we come from? We are created by God with a purpose. Therefore, our lives have meaning. Two, what what does it all mean? Ultimate meaning is deeper and more wondrous than the physical reality we see around us. It is grounded in the creator who made us for his purposes and in his image. Three, therefore, how should we treat each other? We treat each other well, seeing one another as his image. And four, We can do and be what is right today because we will be held accountable and rewarded in his kingdom. God's truth and person is central to each element of our worldview. In that sense, we have only one element to our biblical worldview. God is before all things. He is after all things. He has made us for his purposes and he is our ultimate destination. Therefore, We are from him, we live for him and his creation, and we return to him, and that is our future. Let's pray.